Welcome to Missionary Mindset. This is the podcast where we do a deep dive on all things missions in East Asia. This week, we're joined by Jake Smith. He's the field coordinator for Word of Life and also the head of Pilgrimage Films. Pilgrimage Films is a YouTube channel that focuses on culture in Taiwan. Glad you could join us this week, Jake. Would you mind telling us about yourself? So my name is Jacob Smith, and I'm from Seattle, Washington, which is, I don't meet a lot of people from Seattle and Taiwan. I would think I would because we have a huge Taiwanese population in Seattle. So it's kind of, sometimes I feel like I come from a different culture in Taiwan, but then I meet all the Americans or foreigners. A lot of times they're from uh, Ohio, Kansas City, different places. So, but uh, I currently am a missionary for Word of Life and I'm the field coordinator for our entire ministry. So we have uh, multiple missionaries under us. We have an English school that teaches the Bible, I'd say program, not a school, but English program teaches the Bible and uh, does it in an immersion language setting so that Taiwanese people can basically be able to talk in English because they spend their entire life studying English. But a lot of them, you'll meet them in the elevator and they're too afraid to talk to a foreigner, but they've actually studied for 12 years. And so a lot of what we do is getting people over that fear being able to speak English. And um, it's pretty exciting. We have 14 students right now and it's a very unique ministry. But the ministry that I love, the I, I don't want to say the most, I don't want to pick favorites, <laughs> but it's the one that I started and have uh, wanted to do for a long time is we run a YouTube channel that tries to create engaging content for students and families and uh, help people to basically grow in their faith. And some of the ways we do that is by engaging the culture around us. So for instance, we'll cover Taiwanese folk religion and other ways we would do it is by uh, covering maybe subjects that are really common in the church today. And we're almost a year old. I think we're about nine months into it. Um, And we release a video every week on Wednesday. Other than that, I am married to a, my wife, Emily, she's from Florida. So we're from across the US, completely different places. And we have two incredible cats. One is a Japanese bobtail and one is a midget cat, a rug hugger. Interesting. Call it. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so what? what's the most rewarding part of your ministry? You mentioned you don't want to pick favorites, but I guess what's your favorite part of your ministry? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd say probably uh, without picking favorites, I'd say the thing that probably that I have spent the most time doing because I've only stepped into the other stuff probably over the last two, three months. So our main ministry has been uh, Pilgrimage Films, which is our YouTube channel. I'd say one of my favorite things about it is it's amazing how many people, uh, whether they're uh, Westerners or Taiwanese, uh, just have no idea what goes on outside of maybe a couple city blocks from them or in Taiwan. We have a ton of Taiwanese who say, that uh, they learn a lot from our channel. And it's about maybe a religion that they were raised in, but they had no idea what it actually meant or the things going on. But then secondly, we always compare and contrast it with Christianity. So I I really love when people can kind of connect those ideas and say, oh, this is the religion that we see in Taiwan, but this is the religion of Christianity. And that kind of, they can see, of of course, like uh, we don't compromise on our channel. We believe Christianity is true. We, uh, we, don't say that Taiwanese folk religion is true. So I love it when people actually say, oh, wow, I didn't realize I believe this and I want to believe in the things of candy. But 
yeah, I'd say for me, the most rewarding part is kind of those conversations and talking to people and just seeing them enjoy it. And then also when people leave like comments on our videos and uh, it's only starting to happen now, but after about a year, you start to see people leave comments and you're like, oh, I'm kind of building a community. And a lot of those are people I know in real life who joined our channel early, but they'll make references to older videos and it, it feels nice like you're building something and that people are actually paying attention to it. And like, oh, this, this is something I enjoyed watching and remember. Because it can be easy to just be like, did anybody watch it? You get a lot of views, but you don't know who. And then you also don't know if, how much did they retain or were they paying attention? And so it's, it's cool sometimes people drop a comment and I'll be like, oh, you were actually paying attention to that religious subject. And I gotta, I gotta study more because you can catch me off guard with this. That's cool. Yeah, so what's, what's been the most challenging part for you recently, I guess? Uh, I would say initially it could have been COVID restrictions in that uh, normally during the summer, we spend a lot of time filming these big outrageous festivals and it's very easy with a YouTube channel to be like, look at this exciting thing you've never seen. So we have footage from years past, but this year we weren't able to get a lot of the footage and the summer is like the main time for it. So that's challenging and then also being able to find the information, there's there's really, Taiwanese folk religion is very synchristic. So it mixes all these other religions. And one of the, the things that that does is basically thousands of years of history, Chinese history, other Asian groups, um, even stories like Journey to the West is a good example. It's got like the monkey king in it. You have somebody who's basically a, they know he's a fictional character and he managed to make himself into the pantheon and be both a pop culture figure and also an actual God in the religious system here. So there's so many complex things about it. So sometimes when you release a video, you spend like 10 hours doing research and then somebody immediately in the comments is like, hey, I noticed you missed this. And it's like, ah, maybe I did. Maybe I would have to spend another 20 minutes to explain that there's 16 stories around this and we picked <laughs> the most popular one. So it's just, it's challenging to say, how do we balance all this and make a video that that is, honest and true to Taiwanese folk religion, not offensive to people who clearly know that we, we do have the agenda we want to teach about Christianity and still fun and engaging. So I think that's the, the challenging part. It's like, there's kind of a balance there. I think when I first started, uh, we had a lot more errors in things that we said that we had to maybe make sure our future content was like, hey, just so you know, we need to correct that because we didn't read enough of the materials. We actually had a uh, person who studies a lot of folk religion who helped us out and pointed out and just tore our first like 10 videos apart. And we we're like, okay, wow. But that was really good too. And formulating and being like, how do we get better? Luckily, I think only one of those videos ever got released with something where I'd be like, I probably need to correct that. I'd say all the other videos, we didn't get to broadcast with errors in them. <laughs> That's awesome. Why the name Pilgrimage Films? Well, first off, when you're trying to name something, you want it to be timeless and also broad enough to grow over time. And so we, we played with a ton of different names. We're like, should we be the studios? Should we do this phrase? And a lot of the names, uh, you like want the 72 hour rule. You can all be like, oh, that's the name. And then 72 hours later, you like hear it and you cringe and you're like, I can't believe I thought that was cool at 2 a.m. on <laughs> Saturday. And, and so with pilgrimage films, we landed on it because we wanted something to describe basically what I believe is one of the biggest things we see in scripture. It's a spiritual discipline, but it's not really ever uh, shown. You shared a little bit about how you love to travel. And 
traveling and going into a new culture or into a new place uh, is a spiritual experience for many people and it's very formative. And we picked that name because we wanted our videos to be able to take someone who's maybe from the West and take a journey into what's going on in the East and be able to understand more and vice versa. When we cover Western topics, we want people in Taiwan to be able to take a journey and kind of have like faith journey with that. But also we love to travel. Um, the initial plan was before COVID, we were gonna go to other countries, do a lot of actual pilgrimages, um, which those will happen in the future. But yeah, I've, I've been to about 20 countries. And so I love the idea of going to a different place. And I kind of have some philosophy too on what a pilgrimage is. And we might do a video on that one day. We didn't wanna do that the first year and feel a little bit too self-referential, but uh, yeah, we think the pilgrimage is a really cool concept, but also it, it kind of freaks people out a little bit because when you say the word pilgrimage, I come from a very conservative Baptist Protestant background. A lot of them think the word pilgrimage, it, it's identified with maybe a Catholic side of Christianity or with some charismatic sects of Christianity. So we also wanted to do some content that shows kind of biblically everybody, a lot of the people in the Bible start at a place and then take a pilgrimage and end up at a different location or maybe even return. But it's a very common thing that happens with the people in scripture and it's very formative in who they are and their encounters with God. So, Yeah, I, I definitely liked the name when I first heard about it. I do have you beat on countries. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I don't meet many people like that. So, so pre-COVID, obviously, we lived here for four years. I traveled for a while because a lot of our visa stuff was taking forever. So I traveled every 90 days to pull visa run oh, wow. for a while. And so, yeah, so I've been to a bunch of countries that way. <laughs> we, uh, my wife and I, we did the world race. So we spent the nice. uh, trip and you go to 11 countries in 11 months. And that'd be so really we, cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was a neat experience. Got to see a lot of different parts of the world. I don't come from the actual religious background of that group. It's very charismatic. I am not charismatic. Um, I would even say if I was charismatic, I'm the type <laughs> of person who would still go to a Baptist church because if I'm hearing the word of God, I just don't want someone rolling around on the floor. And like, I literally went to churches on the world <laughs> race where somebody rolled on the floor and then somebody threw a towel over them or like a blanket. And I'd never seen that before. And it was just like a normal thing. Like, ah, they're just doing their shake and throw it up. Like, I believe God, we shouldn't box God and put him in a box. So I'm not going to argue about whether or not he operates that way or not. Although I have my personal beliefs and convictions as does word of life. Uh, but I would say, even if all of that was true, it's just so nice to be able to sit down and listen to a pastor and not have somebody just bump into you shaking and then push you up on stage. And, you know, just not yeah, my not, personal kind of not having a distraction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you're the second person I know that done that has done world race and has was brought up as a as a Southern Baptist, like in that Protestant style. And he kind of <laughs> said the same things about it. But but yeah, I I definitely wish I could have done something like that. That would have been that would have been fun just to go to have most people I know you talked about it a little bit, but have most people been receptive? Has has there been any like blowback? And you mentioned the one guy regards to the channel kind of like correcting some of the, the cultural things that that you guys put in with regards to one of your series is um, when we we asked him to so uh, that that's was, perfect uh, then yeah yeah we we, we sent it be before we launched our channel we sent him a bunch of our videos and he uh just 
basically was like, Hey, you might be stretching this. You want to be clear with this. It's funny. He's uh, he's British. And so uh, some of the ways he said stuff was like hilariously, like, I don't know if it was a insult or a backhanded compliment, but it was so <laughs> useful and knowing if we're doing the things right. Yeah. Uh, as far as reception's gone, actually, we've had a very positive reception. And I'd say part of that is the unique nature of Taiwan. Uh, there is no country I've been to that has this level of, I'm okay with a foreigner sharing their religion with me. We couldn't do our program at SYME if people weren't on that same page. We have people who are literally Buddhist or Taoist in religion who come and study the Bible for two months. And we tell them, we believe what you think is wrong. And they tell us, well, I believe what you think is wrong. And the thing is that in a lot of countries that would create conflict, but in Taiwan, they're okay with it. And part of that goes into deeper ways of how Taiwanese folk religion and their belief system works. Uh, part of it is the reality that they don't have to worship a specific God. Like they're not punished for worshiping the God that they choose. So they go to the God, it's like a buffet. They pick the God that they want. And so yeah. for them to have a conflicting religion or someone who says what you believe is wrong, not really that challenging. Now, if we got really famous and millions of views and started getting temples watching the content we're producing, I don't know if they'd be more sensitive to that, but we've had a lot of people, uh, particularly Taiwanese Christians, who are really grateful to be able to understand Taiwanese folk religion better and be able to understand maybe how their parents or their grandparents operate. And they've never been able to understand certain aspects of it. And some of it's been really special. We were actually invited to film a tomb sweeping day of a family and they didn't want their faces on camera. So they're very respectful, but we got to film a very private religious festival and uh some of the taiwanese actually reached out to us and were like this is very special like we don't americans don't get invited to see this type of stuff and that content if you search for it in chinese you're not going to find it on youtube and so it's encouraging to see that we're actually kind of shining a light on a pretty intimate part of taiwanese culture uh that just people aren't always aware of yeah that's really true i i noticed in your channel you went through a lot of the different cultural aspects and comparing them um, to Christianity and how Christians think. Um, what has been, I guess, the most challenging video that you've had to do? Was it the tomb sweeping one that you just mentioned or was there a different one? I think that there's different levels of challenging. So like some of them are very challenging because uh, and you wouldn't think they're challenging. Like <laughs> our, we have a trailer for our channel and our trailer, we spent a week and went around Taiwan and filmed a bunch of stuff but our car died in the mountains and it was like a really bad dying. And we had to get a tow truck and get dragged to different places and it threw our schedule off. And so you're just also Taiwan is very hot. So the entire time you're just sweaty and, and kind of feel gross if you're doing a lot of outdoor stuff. So, so some of the stuff like that is very challenging, but you would never realize it because we're not necessarily showing you how sweaty I get on camera. Although if you watch the Matsu video, you can see that. But intellectually, I think what is most challenging was probably our first seven or eight videos. So we made a series where we wanted to break down uh, how idols are, what they are, and kind of temples and a little bit about Taiwanese religion and eventually lead to the gospel. And if I was to go back now and redo do those videos, some things that make me cringe about, uh, I just feel like we know how to do things so much better than we could at that moment. So I'd say it was the most challenging because everything was so new and we kind of, uh, we had been doing media stuff internally for a while for our organization, but we just had no idea how to launch a YouTube channel, how long it would take, 
we would write scripts and then I would uh, film it and then I'd send out a draft to that one guy I was talking about. He'd tear it apart and be like, this is all awful. I got, I got to refilm this and make all these changes. And so it was very challenging. And part of that was just not even knowing who our audience is or what we were trying to do. So I'd say now we're, we're way past that. And the, the challenge we have now is more, how do we grow and have more diverse content to offer? but also not alienate our audience. Like our video on Shang-Chi, because uh, we were able to answer an oddly specific question from the movie that uh, people have, that I knew that they would have, that almost nobody else would answer. In the last week, we were able to get about 3000 views on that and a lot of people engaging and watching it. And we don't typically get those numbers, but then it's like, oh, can we just become the Christian Marvel East Asian channel? Like we're not gonna move that way. But also, if somebody subscribes to us because they watched Shang-Chi video, oh, there's a police officer outside. Nice. He's, he's making the beeping noise. If For those who are listening, if you're in Taiwan, police officers drive around with their lights on all the time. So if you see police lights, you're like, oh, nothing's happening. But when you hear the noise, you're like, oh, somebody's something's happening. And I never see people get pulled over. So it's usually like a fist fight or something weird. So, so that happens in our neighborhood in Taipei two to four times every day because there's a yeah there's a really famous uh like uh stinky tofu cha tofu place down the street from our apartment and there's no parking so people park in the street and so two to four times every day police officers will drive through our neighborhood and make all the cars move and they basically just do a circle around the block and then come back and the police just once everybody starts to move they leave so all the all the people who are in the neighborhood just do a circle around the block and, and leave. But yeah, that's it's several times a day. <laughs> so funny. It's like for for those who are listening as well, Taipei, I feel like when it comes to scooter and road laws, it's like Taipei is like London in the 1800s. It's a lot more. And then you get to Taichung and it's a little bit like maybe Chicago or New York in the 1800s. And then you get to Kaohsiung. It's literally the Wild West. And it's like. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if people park inside the 7-Eleven on their scooters, but um, so, <laughs> we have uh, had friends say that multiple times that Kaohsiung is definitely the worst place to drive. Yeah. It's kind of fun if you're adventurous, but if you're married or have kids, you're kind of like, uh, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be responsible for <laughs> leaving a family fatherless. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, with how we do stuff, I think a lot of it has, culturally where it's that balance of like who is your target audience and um, honestly some of that stuff we're figuring out right now uh, because we got quite a few subscribers this last week and our next video that we had in the pipeline very specific to christianity um, it's not comparing folk religion dabbles a little bit in evangelical deconstruction and as part of a series we're building on with that and if somebody went to our channel so that they could learn about the cute little potato sack looking thing in a Marvel movie. And then they subscribe and their next video is that it's kind of like, how do I not alienate them? And I, I think, I think when you look at logically, you don't usually go through YouTube and you're kind of like, I didn't like that video unsubscribe. But if you do that enough, that'll happen. So you kind of have to have a balance. And that's kind of where our current challenge is, is, you know, do we go more vlog style? Do we do what we've been doing? Do we only focus on East Asian? And I'm sure as you build this podcast, kind of the same questions will probably be arising. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're on episode four. I think the podcast has definitely 
ever evolving, just like any creative interest that, that you go down. So it changes as you change, as your subjects change, you know, as the audience changes. So, I mean, originally it was very, like the first episode was very much just a conversation that me and a guy had, whereas the second two episodes are, are much more seminar style where they were were presenting their seminar, their ideas about a particular subject. And then, you know, I think my idea of what will be in the future will be more of just a conversation style podcast, kind of like what me and you're doing, um, long form conversation, just kind of hanging out, talking. I think that for the people who listen to podcasts like myself, like a lot of other people, like the people who listen to Joe Rogan and, you know, the really big conversational style podcasts, they tend to do more just talking and just hanging out and then they go into ideas that are difficult but because they're there for you know an hour or two then it's not as big a deal um, because they have time to actually explain their idea they can't just a new cycle can't just get a small bite and just run with that <laughs> but, <It's> nice <laughs> so it makes it a little bit easier plus i mean editing this is a lot more difficult than i think i expected um, because I had never done anything like this before at all. Um, so learning all that side of it, things was, was complicated. I don't know if you're using Adobe products, but it's like, I, I Googled the other day, not because it's ever, I have occurred to, but I was legitimately curious if I type, well, has anybody ever killed themselves because of Adobe Premiere Pro? Would it auto complete? It, it didn't. I was kind of surprised, but it's because <laughs> it's like, Honestly, we deal a lot with Taiwanese folk religion. We talk about uh, just the spiritual world. And I would say Premiere products are probably the closest thing to a, a ghosted supernatural experience you can have on a computer because <laughs> it will do things that I know it's not programmed to do. Um, it's an incredibly powerful program, but it's just like, it's so much learning. Um, and it, it can be really exciting. The other day, I uh, for our Shang-Chi video, so Shang-Chi has this little character called Morris lighting the internet up on fire, super adorable. And he basically is a headless version of the cat that I have, Neville, little little fat guy. And it's a six-legged little puffball. So I took Neville and added an extra set of legs, added some wings, did all of that in Premiere Pro, created a PNG, put it into PowerPoint, got a really cool design. And it's, it's funny because it's like, I feel like a kid in a candy store learning all these new things. But it's also, I don't know if like, nine months ago, I would have been able to just kind of float around and do all this stuff because it takes so much to learn. And then once you learn it, it, it does come pretty quick. And so somebody comes in, they're like, teach me how to do this. And like, you can show them quick, but <laughs> it's like, the, yeah. it's, it's like, it's not the doing it that's hard. It's the mindset of this problem is here. And how do I tackle it with the skills and abilities I have with these media programs? And we have literally no training other than YouTube, lots of Peter McKinnon, watching things, learning how to do stuff, lots of cheating by using programs that aren't supposed to be done that way. One person on our team, highly fantastic at graphics, and she uses PowerPoint for a lot of things because PowerPoint is a phenomenally powerful program that nobody realizes. So she'll take things into PowerPoint, remove all the stuff around it, and then put that into Canva to create thumbnails. And it's just funny because I know we're using the wrong program, but we're able to do it. It works. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to use Photoshop and Illustrator. I'm supposed to learn After Effects, but I've only got one life. I don't have enough 20 years to learn After Effects yet. <laughs> so we use we use Audacity, which is a free program 
Um, I like Audacity. Because we only use audio, Audacity works great. But Audacity is the least user-friendly program possible <laughs> when it comes to like, when it comes to doing any editing with regards to audio, they don't tell you anything. Um, <laughs> it just shows you an error code. And it's like, okay, cool. I, I, I'll Google it. <laughs> but it's it works great once you learn how to do it. <laughs> the thing with that too is like, uh, we have a, an engineer here who works on our staff, mechanical engineer, learn analog stuff. I'll ask him questions about different things. And it's just so above my pay grade intellectually. So, so I think about that sometimes it's stuff like I will go and I will produce the audio for my video and I will be like, this sounds pretty good. And I'll show it to someone with a skill set like his. And he'll be like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. You need to do these 16 things to make it better. And it's like, I don't even know how to have the sense to know how to do that. Over time you develop that, but that's kind of one thing you learn with something like audacity or, or programs like that. Like, I know our sound design could be a lot better, but so much work to even be aware of the problems, um, yeah. which is interesting. I think it's a good metaphor for Christianity in some ways too, is like sometimes we're not even aware of like how far we are from God or how many changes we need in our life because just the journey to understanding Christianity is a lot more complicated than people realize and it takes a long time. And then one day you're kind of like, you look back and you're like, I was a savage. I can't believe I was like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I listened to episode one and I'm like, man, that was really poorly edited. I did really bad. And then I'll have other people listen to episode one. They're like, this is really good. Like you did a really good job. And I'm like, not really. Like, like, like knowing what I know now, I could have done a lot better, but I can't go back. So like, it's, you know, it's too late. <laughs> it's a blessing to be on episode four because you'll have that same experience with this episode and I'll have the same experience. This is my first podcast. So I'm going to look back and be like, I did awful. Um, I'm sure I'll do more in the future though. And then at some point I'll be like, oh, that's all right. And it's kind of like the artist curse, I guess, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like podcasting is much easier than anything with YouTube. I think the hardest part for me podcasting wise is editing is listening to myself. I think that's a lot of people would think say the same thing that, that edit any audio or video is, is listening or seeing yourself. And I think that's the most difficult and annoying part. Cause you're like, man, I screwed up terribly. And to fix it would take an hour or I can leave it. And it, doesn't take any time. <laughs> I, I can relate to that. It's, it's funny too, because like at this point, sometimes we'll film like three videos so that we can be ahead. My team would laugh if I said that. They're probably like, at one time we did that. But it's like weird because I'll listen to myself. And at first it was really hard to listen to my voice. And I even like would put on the smoothie things, make it all bass soundy, but then you don't sound like yourself or you're tinny and you're kind of like, eh, yep. this is the voice God gave me. Yeah. I don't um, change any of that just because I'm like, look, yeah, it's not going to get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, some people do get better over time. I don't know if they learn like some skills with it, but like, so it's weird though, because I will edit my voice and then like, in the background behind me, I'll hear somebody else editing out loud the things I've already listened to for like three hours. And I'll be like, that annoying guy back there. It's just weird because in the background, I'm always hearing myself talk. 
I guess that brings me to a good question for you guys. Is there, has there ever been creatively, I guess, for you, because you are in charge of YouTube channel, has there been a spot where you're like, I have no idea what I want to do for the next video? Absolutely. I, I feel like for me, it, it, it is a mixture of, I could probably make a lot of content, but I feel restricted sometimes by trying to make sure I balance it with our audience. And one of the things we try to do is all our videos, we try to have a Mandarin subtitle track. Uh, we're a couple of weeks behind because the person doing our subtitles did a phenomenal job, fantastic, but they're really busy in this season. So they can't continue with our uh, current video stuff. But normally we want that to, to be done. So we're in this current, it kind of like we're right in the middle of it right now of we're having these discussions like how do we get ahead? Because if we get ahead, we can translate it. And I can actually bake the subtitles into our YouTube video. And if you're in Taiwan, like that's how people watch things. Yeah. They watch their own stuff with Chinese subtitles. And if you've studied Chinese at all, it makes sense because it is a confusing language if you don't have context and you can't read it. And you have people who are actually reading the same characters, but they're thinking in a Taiwanese mindset. You have people who are reading the same characters, but they're familiar with maybe mainland Chinese and they want simplified, but they're working with traditional. There's just so much. So subtitles are life here, um, which is kind of funny today. I, uh, I realized today that like, like if you watch like a White House video, right? They always have someone doing sign language uh, live on the side. And I realized today, I was like, it's interesting they don't have somebody just writing the subtitles because that's a lot more useful for a wide population of people than somebody doing specifically sign language. And I don't know if it takes the same amount of time, but I, it just occurred to me, I just thought it was funny. So yeah, right now, I think creatively the challenge is, it, it's kind of a weird thing. There's so much we could cover and there's all these options. So you don't want to go like really out there. Lots of hilarious tangential characters in Chinese folk history. We could go into just history stuff. But the other side of it is one thing we do that's unique is we make it so that maybe every four videos, we might have something where it doesn't dabble in Christianity at the end. But we want 80, 90% of our content always being drawn back to Christ and the Bible. And um, we don't always do that with maybe our vlog style videos because it can be a little bit weird and a little bit forced. And then also sometimes we're filming real people and we don't want to end the video that they're going to share with their family with like, by the way, everything you believe is wrong. Um, so, so at those a lot of times what we want to do is maybe have a follow-up video that's separate so that they can share that with their family. And then if they feel like they want to know more about our view and our take on it. So yeah, the content issue right now I think for us is it is a little bit challenging because there's so many places you can go and there's so many things that you can do just absolutely wrong. I think, I, I think a really good example that's controversial is there's a, a lot of people believe that old Chinese characters have the words for like Noah from the Bible and all this stuff written in it. And, and some of the language is very, very old and might have concepts from let's say before the Tower of Babel and well, at the Tower of Babel, not before, <laughs> unless they spoke Chinese in the garden. Um, <laughs> but at the Tower of Babel, languages divide. I find this super fascinating. There's tons of different people groups where you can see that they have the same characters or same kind of way that they communicate. And it's clearly spread out through different ethnic groups and linguistic stuff. So there's this kind of like movement where people want to take an old Chinese word and be like, see this, it looks like this. So this means that this talks about Noah. But that may or may not have some truth to it. But at the end of the day, like my Chinese is not going to be at the level where I can defend it if somebody brings it up. And on top of that, I want to make sure I'm teaching truth and being honest. 
So when we're doing comparisons, there's this temptation to be like, can I make scripture and the stories here fit Taiwanese folk religion? But it's always got to be the other way around. And that's where I think sometimes it also kind of can jam us up a little bit because a lot of the stuff that they deal with in their religion is stuff like uh, spirits and demons and things. There's only so much of that content in the Bible. It's good though. It, it forces us to actually learn more and to dig into things because like uh, just even thinking about talking about Chinese history and dynasties, like you can go to the book of Kings and talk about what's happening in Israel and have some great interesting comparisons. Saul comes out up all the time because he's the only person in the Bible who's actively like a king and hanging out with witches. But, um, <laughs> but there's, sure. so yeah, so there's like uh, different ways to try to look at it and then also to balance it. Some videos we want it to be 50-50. There's some videos where maybe we do 20% of Christianity at the end because we know our audience isn't going to want to be spoon-fed all this, but it's going to open kind of this conversation. So one thing we've done that is cool, though, is our, our I keep almost saying school, program. Our program here, the reason I say that is that there's a distinct difference is we are a religious nonprofit. And so while we do educate people, we teach them the Bible and we teach them English. But when it comes to the government, they have very strict regulation for what a school specifically is. And we've talked with the government quite a bit, so it's not an issue there, but we're also very careful to not call ourselves a school and have the wrong impression because everybody who serves here, they're volunteers, they're not paid by us. We, there's no way we can make enough money to pay them. They come here with a grateful heart. We're missionaries, you know. Nobody does missions for the money. And if they do, they're probably gonna uh, get that whole Lord, Lord thing that Jesus talks about department. They'll probably be sorely <laughs> depressed because yeah. money's not there. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that is neat that we've done is we created a curriculum for our program that is basically seven different classes. And for every term, we have four terms, five total, but we have four terms that we've done right now. And these seven different things are going to videos we've done with pilgrimage films. And then we actually take an hour long message, discussion groups, and we can get people to actually break up and learn about these subjects. So we're gonna do it for the first time next week. We're gonna test it out. We're really excited because over seven weeks, we're gonna walk our students through what are idols and how that, that relates to being made in the image of God. Uh, how do idols come alive in Taiwanese folk religion? How does that relate to how we come alive as Christians? And then eventually build that up to talk about the gospel and uh, to do it in a classroom setting and to do it in a unique way. And so we're also, one thing that we try to do that is very intentional is to create actual tools out of our videos. So our current religious series that we're doing, talking about a little bit evangelical deconstruction and cross-cultural ministry, it's going to have a lot of tools and questions that go alongside it. Somebody can actually take that and run with it and say, hey, I have a youth group and I wanna teach about these subjects and I have eight weeks of content that's interesting, hopefully appropriate with the jokes we make and then they can use it in a church setting. I mean, with COVID or pre-COVID, I guess, and, and now COVID, have you been pre-COVID, were you recording most of the videos in front of a green screen or on location? What did that look like? And obviously during COVID, I, I'm assuming it's been a lot more difficult, I would, I would guess, just because of the regulations here in Taiwan and how that has all worked. So pre-COVID, we basically, uh, we have a, a room at uh, the building we have our program at, SYME, and we basically, it's our media office, okay. does, not look, does not look the best. <laughs> um, but so we painted it, we got it to where, uh, not soundproof, but made some changes. Uh, the person who actually built this facility 
was an American and he did a great job. He actually made all of the classrooms have drywall, which is very nice. uncommon in Taiwan. Yeah. So it's like, it's such a weird feeling. You can go into a classroom and be like, I want to nail something to the wall. And it's like, you can do that. You don't need to get a hammer drill out and then vacuum up a bunch of cement and ask the neighbors if they're okay with you doing that and then accidentally crack the cement and then have <laughs> it fall out later because you didn't anchor it right. Nope, you just use a nail. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, just one nail um, in the right place because there's still, I don't think it's got insulation and stuff to keep it from falling. But uh, so our media office is basically where we do most of our filming, but we want to eventually raise the money and build a studio, professional one, probably spend about five to 10,000 US on it. Um, but to make sure that it's something that long-term we can do a lot of professional high quality content because right now a good portion of to film is somewhat exhausting because I have to set everything up. I have to tear it down at the end. I have to turn the air conditioner on and get it as low as I can and then turn it off and then hope that I don't sweat the whole time through. That problem goes away in the winter, hopefully, but, uh, but that's also because we don't have insulation in Taiwan. We got tons of windows in this room. And so you air condition it, you turn it off 10 minutes later, you might as well be outside. But our hope is that we'll be able to build a studio that's insulated, has soundproofing, good lighting, and that will be able to really improve our filming. So pre-COVID and post-COVID, it hasn't changed much, and we haven't filmed a lot on location, but when we do film on location, it's usually a vlog style. Eventually, it would be neat to be able to film on location, but every time we try, our audio is so bad, we just come back here and we're kind of like, I guess I'll just do it again, because <laughs> it's noise pollution is not a problem here for people. Like you can be very loud and it's okay with them. And so uh, it makes it difficult to film and, yeah. and kind of get that quality you want. Across the street from my apartment, they have been filming on the weekends. I guess a movie has been filming in our neighborhood. And so you'll see all these mics and cameras and stuff like that. And obviously they don't block any of the streets, like nothing like that. So you just have... <laughs> us basically looking out our window like watching them and somebody letting their dog walk in the background and then you see everybody get upset and they're just like standing around waiting and like okay okay let's start again it's funny it's wild too i've seen i've come across it a couple of times they it's it's really legitimate and serious because if you watch a drama here and you're in the video the white balancing is really off uh because they're they're low-key a little bit want to look as white as they want in the photos so they make everything look really washed out and in the yeah. west we want realistic lighting over here they want it to be really bright so my assumption was always like i don't even know if they have like the level of like stuff that they have in america but we walked onto a, a film set on accident once outside of a mall they had a giant crane with a dolly that was weighted professional cameras like 30 crew members they probably had a had a best boy and the guy doing gap it looked like they had the union type of stuff yeah. where like one guy plugs in a cord another guy's like don't do anything else or we'll get in trouble but it's like a legitimate setup and it was really cool to see that and to see taiwan has that and it's growing because long term we don't want to just be pilgrimage youtube we want to be pilgrimage films and we've i'm very passionate about the idea of creating christian movies that are good which might be insulting to people who watch christian movies but like honestly like every single time someone's like it's a christian movie it's like C-level C quality, and they're just so excited about the fact that it was a movie that wasn't teaching all these terrible worldviews. So we would love to do that, documentaries, but that's a long-term plan, and we kind of have to get successful to be able to do that.
Well, guys, that's it this week. Come back in two weeks when we finish the conversation about culture and the YouTube industry with Jake. As always, thanks to Dale, our editor, and Nelson, our producer. Bye.